We're up all night till the sun. We're up all night to get some. We're up all night for good fun. We're up all night reading books. You're listening to Brave New Words, and I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Mikey. I'm Mim. Uh, and Ross, at this moment, is currently being played by a Wookiee. Um, <laughs> Even the Wookiee's got a thought. That was a, that was a really bad impression. That is a Wookiee I... sat in his dressing gown with a nice big steaming bowl of, like, bovril. It's, it's a visual impression rather than a sound impression. But it's we make very good for radio. radio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we have Wookiees on the broom. On the brain, on that we have rookies on the brain because, or, or on the brain as well, I suppose, um, because we are reviewing Star Wars: The Last Jedi by Jason Fry. That's Jason Fry, and not like the last four takes where I said Stephen Fry, but that would be a different <laughs> book. That would so, be brilliant. Uh, Philip J. Fry. No, that that would be a very short book. I concur that when I read uh, along the top, it says Jason Fry, Star Wars: Last Jedi on every single page, and I kept reading it as Stephen Fry. No. Oh. <laughs> is it a quite interesting book? Uh, I, I am enthralled. It, it's a quite interesting book if it was by Stephen Fry, because in the sense that if Stephen Fry was doing it, someone else would be doing it for him to make him look very intelligent, <laughs> uh, which, which is my argument. He, he'd have written the foreword, come on, it'd be alright. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that in the, the QI book, talking about another book, so this is still relevant, it's got a foreword by Stephen Fry and then four words by Alan Davies. She's what talk- do they do, Stephen? She's yeah. talking about something relevant. She, she's new. So, before we do <laughs> anything else, let's have a lovely jingle. This, this is Fabrian International. That was terrific. That was lovely. Uh, oh, lovely jingle. Uh, as, as you all know, we have a jingle exchange scheme. If you want to give us a jingle um, to play on this show we'll play it and we'll give you a jingle back it might not be that jingle it might be an entirely different jingle but we we, we like trading in jingles because uh, currently jingle trading is not taxed you see so it's very stable as well it's very, it's very stable one for one to understand the currency exchange it's like bitcoin but it's not entirely made up so all money is entirely made up this is true Ooh. as our jingles as our jingles i've lost the plot it's like again. bitcoin Yes, it's like Bitcoin, but in stores, I'm still not entirely sure what the actual money is, because it's like you have imperial credits. Yeah, and but they're not accepted everywhere. Which is kind of not the point of, but they're the, the, the biggest currency. Mm-hmm. Like they're the largest, I don't understand banking in the Star Wars universe, but that's because I'm not supposed to. Well, that's why they've got the clans, the banking clans that keep everything secret, you see. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's not a trilogy about them, is there? They're in one of the books. They're the guys with the really tall heads. Really, really tall heads. Oh, when the yeah, the, they're in the, the the separatist army. The banking clans are one of the people who are in the separatists. And also, when the empire in I think um, Empire Strikes Back, yeah, there's, there's like he's talking to some bankers, isn't he? Or he's talking to some dudes who have got big heads anyway, so maybe he's talking to some Mike. Yes, kids, <laughs> economy is important even in Star Wars, so make sure you get your degree and go and be a banker. The bigger your head, the better. Uh, apparently. So, um, so, so was The Last Jedi, uh, the novelisation. Um, and let's explain why novelisations exist in the first place. I think it is quite, quite a good place to start. So novelisations really started in the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s, um, because 
back then, really, like, the blockbuster was starting to become a thing when we were just starting, you know, Star Wars came out in 1977, but, you know, VCR, video cassette recorders, didn't exist until, well, you could get them in the 70s, you can get them in the early 70s, but you knew someone who knew someone who worked at a school, or worked at some other kind of organisation, so you could get videotapes, but you couldn't really get a videotape, you couldn't really sit there and obsessively watch a version of a movie that you'd seen recently. So the only really way to, to kind of play back a movie would be to buy the novelisation. Usually written by Alan Dean Foster. So Alan Dean Foster who did Alien. Mm-hmm. And Alien had the first DVD extras in the book. Because there's a bit in the original Alien uh, novelisation mm-hmm. where she goes down, where Ripley goes down and is it... Dallas, Dallas, the, the, the other guy, yeah. uh, the engineer guy, she rescues Dallas, and Dallas has been cocooned. Yes, yes, you're right, yeah, and that's in the book as well, isn't it? It's yeah. in the book, it's not in the, and we don't see that until the next movie, Aliens, we don't know that they can do the cocoony, eggy weirdness thing, we don't know that at all, really. Um, we don't know what their life cycle is, we don't know anything apart from that, it's a weird, willy ship, black parasite monster thing, um, which, which it is. Uh, so you read the book and you go, oh wow, it can do all these things and it mm-hmm. can, you know, make hard as concrete slime and yeah, uh, and there's an ex- there's more of Jones as well. Is it's when novelizations were established, or is it? I mean, was it, would this have been a novelization where the writer would have used the script to write the book rather than having seen the movie to write the book? Exactly. So they yeah. used the, the script. So the original Star Wars novelizations are apparently by George Lucas, but they're not. They're by Alan Dean Foster. Um, because Alan Dean Foster, who is an amazing writer in his own right, he's one of my, he's one of my favourite, and I'm going to use the word advisedly, pulp writers. Because he writes very pulpy books, and he writes very intelligent books, but he's, I don't think he's ever actually, like, I don't think he's, I might have been nominated for a Hugo, he's never going to win a Clark. Sort of, that sort of style of author where he's got a following, people love his work, but no one, no one on the kind of on a late night TV show that's way too smart for its own good, and uh, not that you can be, but you know, that sort of thing. No one's going to sit there and go, Oh, yes, I'll end in yeah, comparable to the works of so on and so forth. No, Margaret Atwood and Alan Dean Foster are not going to be on a panel together talking about the, the, the literary value of their work, which is a real shame. Mm-hmm. Um, should do that. I'd love, I'd, I'd be there for that panel, but I love it. He wrote a book called Quazzle, which we've talked about about four years ago on yeah. the show. We talked about Quazzle about four years ago. Uh, which is about gone off topic. Which is about, we haven't. <laughs> which is about um, giant bunny rabbits. Never not off topic. Not yeah. not Hartley, but giant bunny rabbits from space uh, in in a, in like a colonial spaceship. And what they've done is the bunnies have gone. Oh, our planet is overpopulated. Larks, what should we do? We'll we'll go to the stars. So they build these huge colony ships to put their population in, and then kind of. Hunt them hopefully towards another star. So it's like so long and thanks for all the fish, but the bunny version. But the bunny version. So they're punting huge bits of their population, and the general plan is, if they get there and the planet is uninhabitable, then they'll just use the resources of the star. But hopefully it'll be habitable. And most of the time, and only a couple of civilizations, only a couple of colonies have got back to them because it takes so long. So they know it's worked, but they send out thousands of these ships, and like only a handful have called back. But so far, up until the events of the book Quazzle, none of them have turned up to a to a, a new world to discover it was occupied. 
Incidentally, but the bunny, bun, but the bun, bunny version is my favourite suffix now. I think that will fit for <laughs> almost anything. So the Last Jedi, but the bunny version. Nineteen eighty four, but the bunny version. The West Wing, but the bunny version. Fifty Shades of Grey. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're not inviting her back. <laughs> oh. uh, so, so who but the bunny version? Oh, oh no, that would be really good. Adorable. Even the master would be cute. I know, but I've got an image of like of like kind of the five doctors where they're all bunnies, and then I want to add thirteen on there as well because because that uniform looks very that costume looks very kind of I'm late sort of thing. <laughs> so so that that whole, that would be amazing. We have gone really off topic. So getting back on topic, Alan Dean Foster wrote the Force Awakens, um, uh, the uh, the novelisation. So. Uh, See, we were linked. Yeah, we were linked. So, <laughs> so Jason Fine does a very, very good job. And he also, I think he studies at the the, the, the feet of the master. Because Andy and Foster is very good at building implications on the script. Mm-hmm. He's very good at building a building a world from little scenes and little bits and pieces. And that's one of the things that makes his work so much fun. Um, one of the things that Jason Fine does is he builds tension subplot metaphor. As well, he's clearly talked to. He's clearly talked to Ryan Johnson, to to get that to build. Um, he says quickly, looking at the microphone and making sure it's working. But yeah, he builds he builds that kind of thing. So at the very start of the Last Jedi, because you were just having a, a, a yes, yes, I was speed reading through some of this. At the very start, we get a whole we get a surprise bit at the very start, where we see. Um, when we see uh, Luke with his wife and his not his family, he's another family, uh, but with his with his wife, with on on Tatooine, moisture evaporators, and it's all a dream. And it's like the first two pages are like, what, what? He had a wife, and it's not. It's it's a it's the road not taken. He doesn't. You know, the Empire is still around. He he stays hidden. No one knows who he is. He, knows he has no two th- hands. He has two hands, which is useful for moving. Very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but my and it's again quite early on. You get so so we've all seen the movie, yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. So so um, in in the novelization, we actually understand how arrogant Paul is. And it's you know I still like Paul, partially because Oscar. Oscar Isaac, Isaac, Oscar, Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac is very cute, but also I, you know, the, the character is likable, but he is a flyboy. Yeah, uh, and he is arrogant, and he is, you know, got a bit of a god complex and all the rest of it. Um, he, he's a protagonist. He's he's like every other film. He would have been fine. He's the uh, the guy who gets everything done, and there'd be a medal for him at the end, but. In this film, there's more of a, a consequences to to his actions. I mean, you can't just do the harebrained one chance scheme and expect the Death Star to explode. We can only pick one character, maybe two, for which everything can go right. And I'm afraid it isn't you. Yeah. You're a main character, sure, but your main character point two, which means you you, you can die mysteriously, perhaps, and things will occasionally cock up. 
I like this though. Your application was not successful on this attempt. Yeah. <laughs> but in Star Wars canonically, there's only there's only a certain set of characters who have that, and that's those who have the Force as their their ally. It's specifically said in the script. And the thing I love about there's a lot of people who who don't like the Last Jedi because it's not what they expected. Because what they were expecting was a letter to their mum telling them how awesome they were and how all the time they'd wasted on Star Wars was entirely valid. Um, which I, which by the way, I should clarify that statement. When you're geeking out and fanboying about stores, that's a worthwhile thing to do because it's fun. You don't have to sit and go, oh my god, I've spent thousands of pounds and hundreds of hours on this frivolous thing. Go you. Hmm. Yay! That's, that's, that's worth doing. Did it bring you pleasure? Yes. Then, 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 that's yeah, what it's exactly. for. You, you don't suddenly need to feel, oh no, but the movie has to be like this to justify the times. No, 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 you just had fun. Like, <laughs> you don't have to justify having fun. It's fun. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm fan enough to have gone back and rewatched the uh, prequels, and I now have an appreciation for them. At the time, I just hated them. But I have perhaps forced myself to have an appreciation for them because I Maybe. bought them. Mim likes Jar Jar Binks. Sorry, I've just outed you on the radio, but Mim likes Jar Jar Binks. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get hate mail now, you know that. It's actually oh, that clumsy. Wait, wait, wait. We're going to get mail? <laughs> I'm going to leap into the... Yeah, we get mail. Please, we can write in. It's ed.fortune at starburstmagazine.com. Um... And yeah, if it's if it's lovely positive things, it's ed.fortune at servicemagazine.com. If you want to say horrible things, then our show is called TV Zone, and you want to email paul.mount at servicemagazine.com. <laughs> so sorry, Paul. Uh, yes, Jojo Binks is actually in some not he's not in that novelization because he's not in that movie, but in the Star Wars aftermath, he's in. Um, and this is again, this is not really a spoiler because it's like a little. Mm-hmm. Side scene. It is sort of. He, he survives the original, the original trilogy. Yeah, he survives the original trilogy, but we know that anyway because we don't see him killed on screen. That's true. Okay. Well, we didn't know, but okay. Yeah, everybody who you don't see die on screen, and some people you do see die on screen survive. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, in aftermath, Chuck Wendig kind of makes a very pointed point about it. Actually, it's kind of lovely, um, where. It's Naboo and there's a refugee camp. Naboo has opened up a big refugee area for people who are affected by the Empire. Because, obviously, to me, there's a war. There's a Star War. Blue's in the name. Um, and I know I wondered what that meant. Sorry. <laughs> and there's this strange... There's a, there's a Gungan that the adults won't talk to. The adults don't have any time for this particular Gungan. But the Gungan spends all his time in the refugee camp with the children as a clown and keeps the children happy sane there's an implication that he also makes sure that they get fed as yeah. well so he's like a proper refugee worker but mostly mm-hmm. what he does is he clowns and he pratfalls and he tries to get you know and he spends time with the kids who've had it hardest just to try and get a little smile out of them and to try to make their lives a little bit easier and that's all he's doing that's 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 his job he's a child's entertainer for those who are <laughs> Those who are worse off. So what this? This is a humble servant because I gave the empire to the emperor. Oh no! So what? What he's saying, basically, somewhat cynically, is Jar Jar Binks is to entertain the kids. Stop whinging about it. Yeah, 
Uh, absolutely, it's very, it's very on point as a criticism. I wanted him to be the Sith Lord. There was a brilliant conspiracy uh, theory that Jar Jar was meant to be something much bigger, and it could have been that he should have been a Sith Lord because of the colour of his eyes, because of the way his pratfalls are almost force jump. Because of all the dark force power that he kept using, and because it is him, he's given. It is he who stands up and says, "We choose to to offer these supreme powers to." The scary old man who's not suspicious at all. It, it's his fault, so ultimately he should suffer. If you go on a thing called the internet, which you might not have heard of, there's a fair few crazy theories about Star Wars on there, one or two. Um, and this is probably one of my favourites. I, I just love the way that... The, and it's even backed up by uh, George Lucas and, and a recording they had of him saying Jar Jar is the key. But I think he was talking about toy sales there rather than the uh, being a Dark Lord of the Sith. He was wrong on the toy sales. Even kids didn't really like Jar Jar too much. Lego, Lego Star Wars has a different fate for Jar Jar. Um, you, there's a point during Empire Strikes Back where uh, the Millennium Falcon is escaping from you know, Darth Vader's Star Destroyer and so on. And we leave behind... Jar Jar, frozen in carbonite, just floating in this asteroid field while the Empire moves on. It's in the Lego Star Wars game. He's, yeah. He's there, yeah. There's a, there's a coffee table manufacturer that will do you a Han Solo frozen in carbonite. And apparently they'll also do you a Jar Jar Binks frozen in carbonite. And I'm not allowed to have one um, because we don't have room in the house. Because the house is mostly, mostly made of books. Yeah. I could talk about Jar Jar all day. There's, there, he's in Firefly. Well, not Jar Jar, sorry. Han Solo and Carbonite is in Firefly. But we should get back so, to... I found a book on the table, Ed. What's this about? <laughs> so, the, Star Wars The Last Jedi by Jason Fry. Um It is... I mean, okay, so if you've seen the movie, they aren't any surprises, except they sort of are. In the sense... That, that makes they, sense. No, you know the story. You know how it's... You know, you know the beginning, yeah. the middle, the end. What you also get, however, is you get the fact that that BB-8 really doesn't like Black One, the um, poor spaceship. Right. Because the poor spaceship's really up itself. It's like the little Navi computer is sitting there going, I'm the prettiest, aren't I? I am the prettiest. Look at me, I am the prettiest spaceship in the entire fleet. I am so special. You know that thing you did where you installed like an experimental booster to make me go extra, extra fast? I didn't like that. I didn't like that, but did it? I'm the fastest starfighter. I am, aren't I? I'm so the prettiest. Spaceships are, uh, are Labradors. Yeah. Okay. Pretty got much. <laughs> this is this is almost hitchhiker. You know, genuine people personalities. Really? Awful, isn't he's it? He's a good boy. He's a good boy. It's 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 the fact that it, it also wants uh, X wings. Apparently, always want a snossage. Um, which is why you have an R team unit like built like a, an astro computer in there because yeah. it goes um, engine's not working. Uh, well, no engine is working, but you haven't installed patch one point two point one point one point one point one point one. Can you install that now while you're in the middle of a firefight? No. <laughs> Can you install it? No. Can I interest you in a McAfee anti-vote? No. <laughs> uh, and, and it's just this little bit, and it explains what BB-8 is doing. So BB-8 is furiously, basically punching pop-ups, whilst also, <laughs> oh whilst also optimising the engine fuel speed and all the rest of it. So what Jason Fry is doing is he's putting it in a way that we can understand the idea that you know this little computer is frantically trying to, and if you've seen the movie, there's a bit where that happens even more so, where he's plugging gaps and yes. 
putting bits and trying to get bits sorted. The dance that Ed is doing to illustrate this for us, you know, you it, don't it, appreciate at the moment. Is excellent radio. Yeah. Yes, but there's there's a bit where lots of little mechanical bits come out of BB-8. BB-8 is because his beeps and beeps and weeps and things in the movie. Blue, 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 blue. But you get his per- you get the flavour of his personality in the book version because they can they can spend more time talking about how, you know how awesome he is basically and what he's like and a lot of him is going ah right okay yes no and this okay and this no I'm very happy I'm very excited to be here but could you stop no no I'm very excited to be here but please um that sounds like he's just screaming I'm in a Star Wars movie (laughs) like his agent really got in the good kick here well that's true that's why Chopper's so angry because you know, because Chopper, Chopper applied for that gig. Oh, he's in the Star Wars. He's in the uh, Force Awakens. Just is about. What's BB Eight going to do after the trip? This comic conventions. Yeah, <laughs> that's how he's got to look for. Yeah, this is his highlight. This is Star Wars. That's that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. And but it's, it's just conventional. Maybe. He's not going to appear in other movies after this. He might make a very good voice actor. Who knows? I think it'd be fantastic in a remake of Casablanca. <laughs> I was thinking Titanic, but go on. Leave it again, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it again, BBAs. As, 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 like... I'm on top of the bleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can bleep me, Jack. Bleep me like one of your French women. <laughs> oh no! Well, because we don't know BBA's gender. Actually, we could recast every single movie featuring Leonardo DiCaprio with BBAs, and it would still work. The hateful BB-8. Be fun. Yeah, the hateful <laughs> BB-8. BB-8 Unchained. He's in that. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah. Again, again. No, that still works. Beach B-8. I'm still thinking of Inception, sorry. <laughs> see, see, now I'm thinking of all the, the Bruce Willis roles. And BB-8 no, that really done. works, because when he's crawling through those, those ducts, BB-8 could do that. No problem at all. Or die out of BB-8. Yeah, he'd no, be... No, no, it'd be... Uh, BB-8, beep hard, and then BB-8, yeah. beep harder. Yeah. So anyway, so if you are BB-8 and you're looking for an agent, we can do it for you. Um, we've got that all sorted. We've got a time machine, we're going to get you back into the past, and you're going to replace a load of people in books. Oh, films. On topic, the, the things I like about the book of the film is is when they can expand on moments, because you get to see a load of characters that you love, and it's normally condensed in between... 90 minutes to you know the two two and a half hour film and you and you always walk out going but i wanted to see more of this character i wanted to know a bit more about them and you do get to see the deeper thought processes which which sometimes fill in gaps and sometimes they just create a richer world around them he does an amazing job of ray he does an absolutely amazing job of ray and we get more um we can it would be unfair to say we care more um, about Ray, it's more that she's the, the, there's more depth to the character, there's more depth to the story. Because um, I care a lot about Ray anyway, but you kind of work out where she's coming from, where her insecurities are, and that kind of. I, you just, I find myself really liking it. I also find myself really liking, and I forget the character's name, but Benicio del Toro's character. Yes, who we only see briefly. We all go, oh, it's 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 Benicio del Toro. This must be really big. Um, oh, and he turns DJ out, or swings in. Yeah, DJ. DJ, and he he's in there, and you're like, oh, actually, 
Yeah, but there's more to him. No, he's just a sex. Yeah. He did the exact same thing in the Avengers, though, as the Collector, and we all went, oh, oh we're going to have to wait forever for him to possibly become relevant. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, there was there's a lovely um, uh, another crazy Star Wars theory online about that character and being part of Rebels, but uh, because he has the same scars. Okay. Yeah. Um, no. 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 He's not the character. Yeah. No. But it's quite. It, as I say, internet full of crazy ideas. But if you were to split the destiny of that particular of of Ezra Bridger, who's yes. what we call, if we were to split the destiny of Ezra Bridger. Then that kind of works because that's what Ezra Bridger could have been. Yes, Ezra Bridger could quite easily be an absolute scoundrel, weaselly, self-serving, mm-hmm. bad guy. But you're saying Hondal was maybe a bad influence on him. Well, exactly. But <laughs> that's that, is that not the point of Hondal? Hondal turns up to go, hey, this is this is this is what you could have won, and Ezra yeah. quite wisely goes. No. <laughs> no, he seems to be getting by, but every time he does need help to well, be rescued or a vast amount of money rather quickly, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's kind of obvious to me as well the flaws in the you know the the, the madcap plan that they have that doesn't work, mm-hmm. and it, it becomes really painfully obvious when you read the novelization that it's like the reason you don't tell your entire crew your entire plan is because if your entire crew knows your entire plan. They might blab it over on the radio to someone who might sell you out to the Empire and get you all killed. And it's less obvious in the movie, I think. Yeah. Um, it's really obvious in the book. You're like, oh, yeah, that's a terrible idea. You shouldn't do that. Um, but, yeah, they... Right, OK, so we'll, 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 we'll um, nail it down before we start to bimble a little bit more. <laughs> but is it worth reading? Yes. Have you seen the movie? Probably. Did you like the movie? What's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> my answer was yes. But my answer was yes as well. I like. I love the movie. There's a lot of yeah. people who are like, I didn't like the movie. And it's like, well, that's fine. Uh, don't. You, you're wrong, but you know, it's, you can not like it if you don't want. I know a lot of people who saw it set in time and enjoyed it mm-hmm. um, because they weren't the 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 first the first movie of this new The Force Awakens. Yes. Was a mug of cocoa mm-hmm. and an R two D two shaped biscuit. Ooh. It was so close to the, the original film that we loved. It it was like slipping on a warm jacket and going, oh yes, I can see this. And you've got characters from it that we love. And I can go with this. And the second one is much more, it has to stand on its own two feet without all of the same nostalgia because they've killed off some of that nostalgia. It's but, the, the first movie came basically came with some Star Wars pyjamas, Star Wars bed cover, a Star Wars mug with some Star Wars cocoa in it. With, with some droid chip biscuits, and and it was. Are pretty, you hungry, Ed? Yeah, slightly. <laughs> but it was basically to be like you know, it was like to be ten again. It was that kind of like yeah. you know, I was I was a hug and a bit of Star Wars, and you get to run around and hit your big brother with a with a stick tomorrow morning, pretending that we look Skywalker. It still it had a very different feel than when the prequels came out and the build up to the prequels, and even I mean one and two, the first one. That same sort of all the dipping back into our childhood. So I'm grinning at them because I'm slightly younger than them. So when I say our childhood, I'm really talking about them, not me. But <laughs> but for me, the prequels were the whole had the whole thing where I expected so much more, and they were just average blockbusters. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with the prequels is they're just average blockbusters. So they had to pull out all the stops for Force Awakens to get that valuable nostalgia dollar back at the same time. Yeah. 
but they can't do that again. They can't keep doing that because then people will. Because then everyone would be saying, "Oh, it's just the same thing. Star Wars is just rubbish, isn't it?" So they had to. There's no way they could have won. The people who were prepared to complain about it being all the same were this, almost the same people who were complaining about it not being all the same when it was not the same. But you see it a second time and you appreciate it for what it is. Almost like people can be never happy regardless of what they do. But uh, good film. Uh, and it also addresses a lot of, there's a lot, uh, there's, there's an ongoing thread with Ryan Johnson, the director, mm-hmm. where people are like, well, this doesn't make any sense, this is not established in the movie, and he'll go back to like a bit in Star Wars, or a line in Star Wars, or yeah. a bit and just say, well, well it is. <laughs> I've, taken it, I've taken it directly from yeah. the source material and built my world from there, mm-hmm. which is the job of a good director and a good world builder. Um, so, getting on to the, the, the final bit of the review... Is it any good? Yes, it's great. Uh, if you enjoy the movie, you'll enjoy the book. There's, it's worth. It'll take you a Saturday. Yeah, it'll take you like you know when you have some time off, some downtime. It'll take you a bit of downtime. It won't take you too long at all because you you know the characters. It's very. It's written in a very friendly style. It's written in the, as I say, similar to Alan Dean Foster. Mm-hmm. Kind of welcomes you into the world and you just absorb it. You'll stick this into your brain very quickly. Um, it won't take too too long. It's got some plates in the middle because it's a movie book, so you've got some plates in the movie. The, there's nothing that you can't find online here, but it's nice to have them. There's a lovely picture of Rose and Finn. We haven't talked about Rose, but I, Rose and Rose's sister, there's more about their relationship and you really feel for her more. But I felt for her loads anyway, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, do we find more about the weird fish nuns? Sort of. We get a bit more about the fish nuns, but, you know, they're fish nuns. They do fish nun things. Um, yeah, because nuns are always 50% more fun if they are some weird kind of nun. Doctor Who did it with cat nuns. Yeah. Fish nuns are good. Bearded nuns, they were always way up there as being vaguely comical. So, worth a read if you're a fan of the Star Wars um, world. Worth a read if you like the movie. If you desperately want to like the movie and somehow can't bring yourself to do so, read the book and see if that helps. Um... But yes, I, I think the box office figures say, say it was quite good. I enjoyed it. I'll definitely go and see the next one. Will I read the next novelisation? Maybe. Mm. If they give it to me. Um, <laughs> we've, we've got other stuff. Should we do other stuff? Yes. So I've got a thing. So we, we've had some owl post. Rather than bunny post. We've had some owl post. Um, and we, we're trying. I mean, the bunnies are just not organised enough. They're oh, better at rockets. Mm-hmm. This this turned up a little while ago, and it's taken a while for like two bunnies to drag it to to a post box. So what I have in front of me, this is excellent radio. Uh, I have the Wizarding World. Shall I shall I give this to someone to get excited? You, you do. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Excitement accomplished. Tick. So uh, it's Wizarding World uh, Harry Potter Loot Crate from the lovely people from the from the Loot Crate company. It's now ripped. Uh, it's now been ripped, and we have things inside. Gorgeous items. Loot Crate always do amazing things. It looks like we have some form of t-shirt or scarf, uh, which is the the wall of Sirius Black's house with his family tree on, which is beautiful. So it's that magical wall. We have a letter of contents. We have the wand collection from the films of Harry Potter which is a picture of the, looks like the actual one prop in most cases, and a short story, a short page section about each person's wand. 
So you've got Harry Potter's original wand, Ron Weasley's mm. broken wand. So it's a full colour book, and does it? Um, there looks to be quite a few pages. Oh there. yeah, it's, it's quite thick. It's yeah, we've uh, and each um, each page has a little bit about each of the wands and a picture of each of the ones. Perfect for if you... I've, I've unscarfed the scarf. Oh no, that's beautiful. That is gorgeous. And yes, it does have the burnt patches from where his mother got rid of him mm -hmm. off the family wall. So there's Sirius, which is all burnt, which is gorgeous. Obviously not gorgeous. She was a terrible mother. That's really pretty. I'm not... It also, it's an autumn-coloured scarf. So those of you who, who like wearing scarves and want... Because it's, it's one of those... It's autumn coloured, so it's olive browns and dun colours. It's going black. It's a black dun. scarf. It's not a black scarf, though. No, it's, no, not, no. it's an autumn colour because it's a, an actual scarf. Yeah. So, so it's actually useful as a scarf. Black scarf would be nicely gothic, don't get me wrong. And I have black scarf, but as a. Yeah. Say, tying it as a kerchief. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. What on earth is that? What we have here, if I'm not mistaken, it is a, uh, a pin brooch. Of the lost diadem of Rowena Ravenclaw. Ooh. It's with uh, blue sapphire effect stones and some diamantes as well, which is very lovely. So it's, it's got a little sparkly in silver with a little hanging detail. It's absolutely gorgeous. Must for a Harry Potter fan, because you don't often get Ravenclaw paraphernalia because Slytherin and Gryffindor are so incredibly popular. I am eyeing up the Gryffindor tie and being mm -hmm. very thrilled because I am a Gryffindor. Others may disuse it but you I get to most choose. most of the podcast are Ravenclaws, is that? Ravenclaw yeah. Hufflepuff. And I'm a Hufflepuff. So I, I'm definitely a Ravenclaw, he said not that ambitious. <laughs> Even the presentation book box for this, which because of the sticker opening on it, if I'd sliced it, it would have stayed more intact, but I didn't have a nice handy. It's quite nice. The inside is even decorated. So you can turn it inside out. The inside, so the insides on these, if you, if you take the rest of it out, the mm -hmm. insides normally do this thing where you can... Uh, oh, it's the uh, Weasley's house. It's the clock in the Weasley's house. Oh, there we go. Uh, and I suspect what you can do, you can always do this with these, is you can reverse the the actual box carefully. He said, this is again excellent radio, as you hear bits of paper strain. While you're doing that, uh, the last thing in the box is your Hogwarts house tie. Now, the box we've got is a, uh, a Gryffindor box, so I've got the, uh, the Gryffindor tie. The show is uh, Gryffindor. Yes, indeed it is. Um, we are we are mostly we are mostly Ravenclaw, but the show is Gryffindor. And uh, we we've, we've oh, got the little. To be fair, we are called Brave New Words. Yes. Yeah. We've got the little rampant lion on there as well. That's a lovely, lovely time. Go go Gryffindor! Go go Gryffindor! Oh, she's off. Uh, Have you seen the the? It's an online meme about um, a laser uh, a laser knife bread. So a lightsaber knife bread. Oh, it's it. like it's in... from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the movie. They use it to to make toast. And there's, there's there's some commentary where someone the first person goes, "Imagine stabbing someone like like that." Someone goes, "Don't be silly!" In, instantly caught cauterizing the wound. Wound. And someone else is like, "That'd be perfect for torture." So like, why would you do any of that? Because toast. And <laughs> immediately we get Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, <laughs> Slytherin, and of course Hufflepuff. Mm -hmm. mm, toast. Um, so this this box set um, at the top here we've got the ties that bind, which I think is probably the problem with that. There's a tie in here as well, 
No matter the bloodline, family ties run deep in the wizarding world. With this crate, explore some of the heirlooms, heirlooms and traditional uh, traditions passed through the generations, connecting people together or sometimes driving them apart. So yes, this was this was sent to us by the lovely people that we create. You know, like they, they occasionally randomly send us stuff, and we get very excited. I can't do this thing. I've normally very. Shall, shall, shall I have yes. to go further away from the microphone? If, if we were better prepared, this would be a blue Peter moment of. And here's one we made earlier. That would require us to have two loot crates. Yes, and a nice try, but no. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. What we do is we'd have opened the box earlier and just pretended to be doing an unboxing because it's radio and you can do that. Are you suggesting? that we fake material for this show. <laughs> All I'm saying is that it is currently a fabulous tradition in the media. I'm entirely fictional, this is the problem. Because I'm not actually a poetry named several poets in a person suit. Uh, this has been established <laughs> a long time ago. So, yes. Uh, and while Mikey tries to carefully dissect a box so we can reverse it for no actual reason, it's a very short, because normally they're quite big boxes, and that's quite, yeah. quite a bijou box. Well, now Mikey's done it, and it looks brilliant. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, oh, that is yeah. really nice. It's, I, I, I it gave up. The Weasley <laughs> Damn it! You ruined the magic of radio. Uh, I do like I do like the wand guide, though. I've, yes. got this, I've got this image of you know you get attacked by an angry wizard, and you're like, stop! I just want to make sure. That, yeah, yeah. No, that's Professor McGonagall's wand. Well done. Um, but I like the idea of a Gryffindor old school tie, because mm. I'm I'm really tempted to to quite possibly wear this to a job interview at some point and see what happens, just because what this really is is it's a nice enough. I mean, it feels very school tie. Yeah. If, if, if well, it should, but it's good for cosplaying, then yeah. really, isn't it? It feels very much like a school tie. Cause I think that's silly, but yeah. Um, but it's a it's a golden. Well, it's a gold. It's that gold yellow, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's the colours of Gryffindor, which are red and gold. Yeah. Or red and yellow. I, um, it's wore... slightly weird that Hogwarts has four school ties. No. Cause, no, because it's your house tie. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I suppose because if you went for a job interview and you, took, you, and you wore your tie to your interview as a wizard, it's no then they know which house you were in as well. From Durham University, for example, all the colleges have a different tie if you wish. Yeah. And there's the overall Durham. Mim, did you go to a wizard school? <laughs> no, yes, no, yes, she did. Um, I went for a job interview a few years ago with a Slytherin tie on. I did not get the job. D is it because they went? Ooh, <laughs> Slytherin. Yeah, it was a mistake. It was just. Uh, it was. It just. Does it not suggest you've got ambition to get this job? It just suited the the, the suit I was wearing. I didn't think maybe it put across something evil about me and I think fairly sure they noticed and it was when he started speaking in parcel tongue that they asked him politely to leave no no it was the dark mark when he activated <laughs> that on his own oh, it was the where do you see yourself in five years and I went into a 25 minute rant that was a, yeah. <laughs> I rule the the, the, thing, the thing with ties is ties are meant to be a confidence thing so you're supposed mm. to wear them and if you think I've got a strong tie decent tie decent suit on mm. you feel confident so I, I've aced an interview whilst wearing a Mickey Mouse Romeo and Juliet tag. Um, and it's mostly because the, the actual Mickey Mouse bit was tucked underneath my um, under, under my uh, jacket mm -hmm. thing. So you couldn't quite see. You could see the thing. See. Waistcoat, that's what I was wearing. That's the, the one. Well, vest for the, uh, those that... It was tucked into my waistcoat. And I looked very smart. I was very confident. And it was just a nice time. Stars, yeah. on, the, stars on until you get to yeah. the Mickey Mouse bit. And I got the, I got the job. 
yes. at the time. Um, and then I turned up a week later with the same tie without the waistcoat. <laughs> and someone was like, no, oh, it's a Friday tie then. And I was like, yes, it's my Friday tie. Yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> but it's because it was a really nice tie that had been given to me by someone who was rather lovely. And yeah. I just had the confidence. But I don't like ties because I don't ne- feel the need to have a large arrow pointing to my crotch. See, I went to a, an all-girls school for my secondary school and I was probably the only child that was devastated when halfway through my terms there they got rid of the school tie. They decided it was pointless because most of the girls shortened it to looking like a puffy cravat anyway. So you'd have the long thin bit tucked inside your blouse. But I, I thought it always made me feel smart and professional because I was an absolute nerd slash dweeb, whichever word is better. I don't know the difference. I know, I, I know the dweebs were with Rude Dog, but that's about as much as... Someone from America, please tell me the difference, because I, I have no idea anymore. Dweebs are round and sugary. Yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, and nerds are more sour yeah. and like, feel more chewier. 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 Yeah. 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 Um, we're talking about American candy. Weren't they part of Wonka? Wonka used to do the purple chocolate with green nerds inside that I absolutely loved and you can only get it in one place and that was my school vending machine up until well, you 2004. Can get, you can get nerds separately where you could make some. I don't know the recipe for purple chocolate. Only Willy Wonka knows the recipe for purple chocolate. It's called Wonkalette actually. Chocolate and purple food colouring. You'd think that but it's not. Because <laughs> I don't think that chocolate had any cocoa in it but... Anyway, retro oh, taste of the 80s. Just Umpa Lumpa. You think he was making it out of... I don't know. It's probably made out of pure Umpa Lumpa. Maybe pure Umpa Lumpa blood. Yeah. And then we're heading into dangerous territory. Umpa Lumpa, do buddy dee. If I don't work, he'll cannibalise me. Exactly. Because um, it's, never, it's never quite determined exactly what... Because um, it's in... Oh my goodness, have you, have, have you ever read The Great Glass Ele- Elevator? Yes. yes. Advice to the listener, don't. It's, oh. oh no, oh no, 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 you never get away with that book now. It's terrible in, in all the wrong ways. Uh-huh. It's a little scary, the vermicious canids, they really go into what vermicious canids are. You should, you should read it. You should again. read it again. <laughs> it's, it, the, the, the vermicious canids are not the problem. The, 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 the faraway exotic land and those strange ways of those people of those uh, the faraway exotic land, that's the problem. But they had negative land, which was interesting, and negative numbers, and Oompa Loompas dying and ageing, and they were experimenting on the Oompa Loompas. They were experimenting on the Oompa Loompas. Oh, actually, I'm remembering more of it now. They were experimenting <laughs> on the Oompa Loompas. One of them goes into negative digits, and I'm fairly certain passes into non-existence. It's, yeah, because World Dahl was... An in yeah, quite a quite a, quite a weird chap in not all the positive ways of weird. Sometimes, uh, he got dropped by his own publishing house. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, why was that? Ed? He was an absolute git. Yes, yeah, so that was the one. <laughs> short version: He was awful to them because he was one of their gold egg egg laying gooses. He felt he could be very rude to his publishers and essentially harass them when he felt like the need to, to browbeat someone. Mm-hmm. So he browbeat the entire team, or at least that's what the, the, the side of the story, I mean, or the side of the story that we have, that's come to light, is that he was rude to his entire publishing team. His entire publishing team were like, we're not having this. We're not having phone calls and nasty letters and being called all sorts of nasty things mm-hmm. and being given stress. No, go away. We're 
we're, we're cancelling your... For the listener, there's an ice cream van outside and we've all looked at each other like, ice cream. Um, so um, about... while, you, while you've gone off topic from that a bit, I just want to say the word allegedly and then carry on. Yes. Oh, all, well, there's letters, but yes. So they dropped him. And he was like, you can't drop me. And he was like, we just have. And he got picked up again by a publisher. Because um, he's rolled out. Because mm-hmm. he's rolled out. But um, I remember reading The Witches as a kid thinking that he absolutely must hate parts of the world yeah. that set and then realising that he actually loves those places. Mm-hmm. Very interesting man, very interesting man. Yeah. But then there's a whole conversation to be had about someone's relationship with the world and how they can love a thing in the real world and then yes. when it comes to writing it seems like they hate it Yeah, because they're so invested in it that you yes. get much more detail than... He did have a fascinating life and his relationship with his father which uh, they slightly go into with some of his semi-autobiographical works and travelling the world. Um, You can tell he's got a mixed relationship with things. I can't quite remember the quote, but there was a form letter that he used to send out to all the children that wrote to him. And it was very nice, basically saying thank you for the letter, but there was always a line at the end of it about how children are so much nicer when they're far away. And he said it lovely and poetically, but that's one of those... He was a very clever man, so if he didn't like you, he could say it in such a way that... Yeah, I get it, and it's pointed, but it doesn't sound so bad. All I'm trying to do right now is work out, would we have preferred it if he'd written Jar Jar Binks? I think he could have probably written Jar Jar Binks. All I'm trying to do now is get the Tales of the Unexpected music out of my head. <laughs> I, I didn't mean out of my head and into your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that music used to scare the living heck out of me because it was nine o'clock on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Tales of the Unexpected was, uh, was the TV adaptation of his short stories. His short stories are amazing. And mm. very dark again. And very dark again. If you get accidentally bought a copy of his adult short stories by your mother who's buying you Roldell stuff and you're suddenly sitting there reading about people murdering each other with frozen lumps of meat and things like that or having losing all their fingers in... Bets about lighting lighters. This isn't a follow-up to James and the Giant Peach. What's going on here? It's the one about the guy who invents the machine where he can read the thoughts of animals and then he plugs it into the ground. And then he realises that trees have feelings. And then, like, therefore you can't eat wheat because wheat screams and it drives them mad. And you're like, okay, that's quite a pointed response to to vegetarianism, Mm -hmm. but... Also kind of scary. Well done. But yeah, that music yeah. music used to play at nine o'clock yeah. on a Sunday. Yes. Which of course was Little Ed's bedtime. Yes. So I had to get to bed, and even when little, even when my bedtime was like later, it would still play, and it'd be like, "No, it's coming for me." <laughs> <laughs> I have to flee. Yes. This, this music will herald Monday, regardless of what you do. Exactly. I'm it, changing my alarm to that now. <laughs> <laughs> We just need to change our ringtone to this. <laughs> Completely off topic, but mine was uh, the X Files were upstairs, and I could hear. I don't. I don't know. We were ever on topic, but you can go off topic from where we were. Well, the, well the, I tried to navigate us back, but you went away again. <laughs> the the X Files. This is an X Files theme, mm. composed by Maxwell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shall we leave? Let's go and see if we can find a way out. Right, I think we should go this way. Okay, I, you look like a man who knows where he's going. That's your first mistake. Your second mistake is following me. Hey! <laughs> it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And me. And it's goodbye from them.